Hey, and welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here to join us. We hope that this podcast inspires you to live life both for God and your city. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with all of our most recent episodes. And remember to leave us a five-star rating. Enjoy the message. Today I want to tell you that the blessing is in the field. Say that with me. The blessing is in the field. I want to talk to you about my upbringing just a little bit here. Um, I grew up in a pastor's home and we lived in a parsonage. Does everybody know what a parsonage is? That's the house that's owned by the church that the pastor and his family live in. And my, my mom and dad largely pastored in Homestead, Florida but they also pastored in North Carolina, um, pastored in Central Florida. And growing up, we always lived next door to the church. Now, sometimes it was very next door to the church. Sometimes there was a little bit more space. But let me tell you how this works. Is that in a smaller church, when someone has a need, they come to the church, they knock on the door, and if no one's there then a a lot of times people will walk right next door and knock on the door of the house. And that sounds convenient if you're one person knocking, but when you're the family there, there's always someone knocking on the door. So imagine you're sitting down trying to, you know, watch the news, uh, watch American Idol, watch Little House on the Prairie, watch, uh, um, you know, whatever, whatever show it is that you like to watch, you're just trying to take a nap um, late at night early in the morning, people are knocking. And I watched my mom and dad minister in that environment. And it was truly special. It was, it was really wonderful. Um, I remember, well, I could tell you all kinds of stories, by the way, I'll just tell you one, but I remember one night late, there was a knock on the door. And when my mom went to the door, there was a man there. His name is Rufus. Rufus had a long beard, uh, was very obviously homeless and had not bathed. It's not like he hadn't bathed in a couple days. I have no idea when was the last time he bathed. Rufus was battling with mental and psychological disorders, as is the case with a lot of the homeless population. Uh, He was most likely battling with a number of addictions. Rufus could barely put a sentence together. And I watched as time and time again as my parents would minister to people, immediate counseling, whatever it was that they had a need of. And Rufus was in the physical condition that you would not, regardless of how much you want to love and care for somebody, you would not want to bring them into your home and sit them on your couch the hygiene was so difficult. And I remember as a teenager just watching this take place. My mom goes and gets Rufus a bologna sandwich, puts some cheese and mayonnaise on it, sits him down at our dining room table and he begins to eat. And as he's eating, he's talking. And it sounds like he was a church of God kid. In fact, he grew up in a church of God church and maybe even played the piano for church. And so at some point, 
my mom or my dad says, here, why don't you, why don't you play something on the piano? So they walk over, pull out the little piano bench. Rufus goes over and sits down. He couldn't put a thought together in a sentence. He couldn't handle himself. The most basic functions he could not handle. But when he sat down at that piano, he began to play. He began to play the songs of the church like a master musician at that piano. It was powerful. I saw my mom and dad do that time and time again. Now, I don't know whatever happened to Rufus, but we prayed for him. We loved on him. We helped him get a shower, got got him some fresh clothes, did everything that we could, got him some food. I could tell hundreds of stories like that. There was a blessing in the field that day. That field that my mother and father were working And the fruit in that field was a man by the name of Rufus. But it wasn't only Rufus. Because I was standing in that field. And I was watching my mother and my father work that field. Today as we talk about blessings, I want to tell you that there is a blessing in the field. God wants to bless you. God wants to bless Rufus. God wants to bless you. He wants to bless people like that. He wants wants to bless people like us. I just want you to hear from me today that God loves you and he loves this world and God wants to bless you. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse nine. The Lord your God will then make you successful in everything you do. He will give you many children and numerous livestock. And he will cause your fields to produce abundant harvests. For the Lord will again, say that with me, again. One more time, again. The Lord will again delight in being good to you as he was to your ancestors. The Lord your God will delight in you if you obey his voice and keep the commands and decrees written in this book of instruction And if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Now, as I share with this with you, my heart is broken for people like Rufus who were raised in a field of blessing and somewhere along the way, Rufus stopped observing the instruction, the blessings that come in this book of instruction. Only he is responsible for that. Only you will be responsible for how you deal in your field. But I promise you, if you will get in the field and you will stay in the field and you will honor the Lord, God will bless you in the field. And if you will stay in the field, then when people, wanderers, in the form of sons and daughters and neighbors and friends and people like Rufus, total strangers, when they come into the field, you will have an opportunity to be a blessing to them. I want to be blessed. I want to be blessed. I think everybody wants to be blessed. I don't think that's a shameful thing to want to be blessed. But you know what? I want to be a blessing to others like my God wants to be a blessing to me. Let me tell you why and how God blesses us. 
First of all, God wants to bless you because he loves you. God wants to bless you because he loves you. In fact, this passage says he will again take delight in blessing you. Did you know that your heavenly father takes delight in blessing you? When I think about an opportunity to bless my children, honestly, I feel warm on the inside. I feel happy and thankful. It's an emotion that I feel in no other way than when I have the opportunity to bless my children. It makes my heart feel glad when I'm able to do something for my children that's a blessing to my children. Some of you feel like God doesn't want to bless you, that God's against you, that he's not for you, that nothing good can happen to you. But listen to your pastor today. I've been in the word and I've seen it with my own eyes that God wants to bless you. Do I deserve it? Do you deserve it? No. But he wants to bless you because he loves you and because you are his children. And so my goal today is to help you get blessable. Get you in the position so that you can be blessed. Secondly, this is about how God blesses us. God wants to bless us supernaturally. Supernaturally. Now, we're people of the spirit. We're people, we're people of the suddenly. We're people that believe. Is there anybody here that believes that God can do anything he wants, anywhere he wants, anytime he wants. Believe, amen. Believe that God can do the miraculous. I've just seen too much. I had a friend say that, well, I don't believe in the supernatural. I don't believe in demons or demon possession. I don't believe in miracles. He's a pastor. He said, I didn't believe in those things until I saw demon-possessed people show up. Until I saw God do the miraculous. Listen, I've just seen too much. I've just seen God work in ways that can only be explained that it must have been God. I didn't know where my next meal was coming from. It must have been God. I didn't know where the money in my bank account went, but God provided for all of my needs. Has anybody been through some stuff, but you're still standing today? Still standing. It's supernatural. We're people of the supernatural. Acts chapter two, and suddenly, talking about the Holy Spirit coming. Listen, we are people of the Spirit, and suddenly God could change everything in our lives. It doesn't matter what the diagnosis is. It doesn't matter what your relationship status is. It doesn't matter what's in your bank account. It doesn't matter what's in your outlook on life. God can change your attitude. God can change your situation. How many of you are asking God to bless you supernaturally? Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've, we've seen God's provision. You know, I heard about God's provision with my great-grandmother, my great-grandfather. My great-grandfather got saved, and three months later, he was pastoring a church. That does not even make sense. It doesn't make sense. And then he's going off and he's, ad, he's advancing the gospel, starting things, starting ministry with no money, no compensation and groceries would just show up on the front doorstep, you know? Oh, I've experienced that in my own life where God has provided supernaturally for me. God provides for us supernaturally. God also provides for us naturally. 
just naturally. And really that's what I wanna talk about today. We, we love to talk about the supernatural. We love to talk about the miraculous. Boy, isn't it wonderful. When you go back in for an exam, they say, well, we don't see a problem that's even here. That's a wonderful thing. But God wants to bless us naturally. I could spend a little bit of time of that, but what I, the thing I wanna focus on is about working for a cultivated blessing within the field. We wanna pour some attention to this. We wanna be in the field. How many of you want your world, your arena, your field to prosper? You want what you're doing to prosper. It's gonna require some work. We miss out on a lot of blessings because we go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your blessing. And God deposits his blessing in our life. The problem we have is that he deposits it not in our hands, but in our field. And we want the easy supernatural deposit that changes everything immediately. And sometimes God says, hey, I put an answer in your life, but it's in your field. There's some rocks, there's some bramble, there's some trees, there's some thorns that you're gonna have to take down. You're gonna have to cultivate. You're gonna have to turn this dirt over. You're gonna have to remove some rocks. You're gonna have to put some seed in the ground. You're gonna have to water the seed. You're gonna have to put up some scarecrows because as soon as you get a little harvest coming up, it's crazy how that the animals will just come out and consume your harvest. That's what I wanna talk to you about is a natural blessing that has to be cultivated. This doesn't only require a, a gift of faith, but it requires a gift of hard work and a gift of sweat and hustle. Uh, Thomas and Edison says opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. This is the kind of blessing that I want us to look at as well. So let me, let me say that as we do talk about our field and we're saying, God, when are you gonna bless me? A lot of times we take our eyes, we look at our field, we say, my field isn't pretty, it's not beautiful. And we look at someone else's field and says, it's not fair that they have this or they, they have something that I wanted. I wish that I had a better starting place. Listen, you don't have a better starting place. You are where you are. It is what it is. The sooner you get okay with that, the sooner you can get busy tending to your field and plowing your field. Plus, let me say, you don't know what that brother had to go through to get that field. You don't know what that mama had to pray through to get that field. You don't know what those kids had to come up out of because you don't understand the field that they were raised in. Don't despise the field God has placed you in because of a field somebody else is in. <laughs> so the sooner that we can get busy working in our field, the better off we can be. The sooner we can start cultivating, the sooner we can start reaping. So let me tell you about the blessing in the field. And when I'm doing that this morning, I'm, we're going to look at the story of Ruth. We're going to be in Ruth chapter one. And as we're getting ready to go there, let me just kind of give you the background. We have, we have Naomi and we have Elimelech in Bethlehem. There was a terrible situation where they couldn't prosper there. And they heard over in Moab, things were better. You've experienced that. Maybe you've sold a house in the last couple years and somebody from California or somebody from New York or somebody from Michigan bought your house with no inspection, no appraisal and no cash. I mean, uh, and with uh, a cash offer. They're saying it is difficult where I am and I'm moving to the South. That's happened. Which by the way, pretty much since the invention of mosquito repellent and the air conditioner, people have been moving to the South. <laughs> So they move 
from Bethlehem and into Moab. And while they're there, <clears throat> they have two boys, Mahlon and Kilion, and they marry two girls in Moab, Orpah and Ruth. Now, I'm pretty sure I saw this interview with Oprah and her mom actually named her after Orpah, but she misspelled it and so she was Oprah, okay? Just a little, just a little side note there. And so they get married and they're getting things going and then before too long, some kind of tragedy happens. I don't know if it was, I don't know if just a health issue or they were killed or what. But Naomi lost her husband, Elimelech, so she became a widow. And Ruth and Orpah lost their husbands, uh, Mahalan and Kilion. So there's three widows. It was a terrible situation. And both the girls said, we're going to stay with you. And she's saying, no, you should go back to your own people. I'm going to Bethlehem. You got a support network. Go here. And uh, it was a terrible situation. So terrible that Naomi changed her name from Naomi to Mara, which actually means bitter. She's saying this life is terrible for me now. And so Orpah goes back to her people, but not Ruth. Ruth chapter one and verse 17, she says this to Naomi, don't ask me to leave and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. So this is a Naomi or Mara is a Jew and Ruth is a Moabitess. She's from Moab, a woman from Moab. And she said, I will, I will leave my gods behind. I will leave my parents behind. I will leave my family behind. But you or me, we're going to stick together. I think, I think one was she loved Naomi. She loved her mother-in-law. And then two, because she loved her and she knew what happened to widows during those days in such a terrible event. And she was older. Her options were, were decreasing. I mean, she couldn't get out and work in the field like, you know, she could have earlier and you know, she was past the age of childbearing. They're just, it was a difficult place. And so I think probably Ruth thought about this and she said, no, we're people, we're together. And you're not gonna go off into this thing by yourself. So right there, you know that Ruth was a special kind of woman. We're gonna pick up now Ruth chapter two and verse one. Now, let me say, they're back in Bethlehem now. They've made the transition back to Bethlehem. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. So I'm not going to spend time on this, but he was what you call a kinsman redeemer, which is who is a picture of Jesus, a picture of how Jesus redeems us and saves us, rescues us. And so there was a process that when you lose your spouse, then there was an opportunity for someone, a relative in that family to come and marry the widow and take over their, their goods and their name and continue the family, the family line. And, and Boaz was in this line, but he wasn't the first person in line, but he was a good candidate. I love how Jensen Franklin describes Boaz. He said he was a handsome man and he was a working man 
which made him a good husband. I like that. That's pretty good. Let me just stop really quickly and tell the women here in the house that are single. How many, any single women here in the house? Just go ahead and raise your hand. Really good. This is a good opportunity. Look around, look around. (laughs) Let me say, if, if you're dating a man, he's good looking man, but he's not a hard working man, don't marry that man because that's not a good husband. Let me just say that. Because if he isn't working when you're dating, he's not going to be working when you're married. I just thank God for hardworking people, period. I could say something, some things about the women. I'm just not going to do that because that's not my point. But you better be careful who you marry. <laughs> Boaz was a as a good, he was a good option. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So just picture, she does not have a job working in the fields. She went to the edges of the fields to pick up whatever barley, it was just barley season, whatever barley was dropped during the harvest process. This was a form of welfare. I mean, obviously it was workfare. You had to work for this. But people who owned fields, they would try and get as much as they could. Which, by the way, let me say this. I think that generosity is a beautiful thing. And it's a wonderful thing when God has given people the ability to create wealth, which I'm speaking to everyone here today. Because we're truly wealthy people. One thing that you'll see in Boaz's field is he didn't take every piece of barley. He left barley so that other people who had needs could be blessed. That's just a good word. And I want to say this to, to those of you that are givers in the church. I want to say thank you for not consuming all the seed that you produce. Thank you for blessing your church. You are a blessing to the Lord, to your church, and your community. And thank you for your generosity in the community, for caring for people like Boaz provided care, not only for Ruth, but for the other women, most likely widows that were in this field. So Ruth went out, verse three, to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem. I guess he pulled up in his red F-150, you know, (laughs) up into the field. And uh, he greeted the harvesters. He sees the people out working in the field. He says, the Lord be with you. God bless you, brothers. God bless you, sisters. The Lord bless you. He's saying, I love you. The Lord bless you. The harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? Hmm, that's interesting. I think he said, who's that fine young woman over there? Who, who, who's that lady over there? Who's, who's that girl over there? I'm about to ask, go ask for her digits, you know? He probably pulled up and said, baby, you must be tired because... You've been running through my mind all day long. You know? I don't know. I don't know if that's what he was thinking though. You know, another thing, she stood out too because the Bible says she was from Moab. 
And if you're from Moab, that meant you were black. If you were from Bethlehem, that meant you were a Semitic, you were a Semite, you were a Jew. And he's going, man, she's beautiful and she's not from around here. Which I just would like to take a second really quickly because there's always conversation about race. You know, this last week, there were some race-motivated crimes, killings that took place. White on black crime and Vietnamese, or it was Asian on Asian uh, killing. Terrible. There are all kinds of people that think all kinds of things about race. And there are even some Christians that think that, you know, we should all stick to our own races. Let me just tell you something really quickly. There aren't a bunch of races. There's just one race. It's the human race. We, were, we all come from Adam. We all come from Eve. Well, I don't know if my, my daughter or my son marries someone from another race. What will people think? Who cares what other people will think? Let me say this. If they're good looking, they can carry on a conversation and they love Jesus, they're fair play. I'm just, right, I mean, just there. If they don't go to church, no missionary dating, Right? You want to find somebody that's in the house of the Lord that doesn't need you, that's not trying to prove something to you. You want to know who they are before you got there because a half person plus a half person does not make a whole person. That makes two half people. You want somebody that's in love with Jesus and knows who they are in life and another person that's in love with Jesus and knows who they are in life. Those are the kind of people that are meant for one another. I just, I just want to put some love on our folks today. I want you marrying good people. I, I'd rather spend one day with you in a wedding than a whole bunch of days with you trying to figure out how to fix your marriage. And let me tell you, for people that love Jesus, it's hard work being married on the best day. And when you're on different pages, oh, it's a whole lot more difficult. And once you get into marriage, you better make that marriage good. I believe it's the Lord's will for me to get out of that marriage. I believe it's the Lord's will for you to go and love your husband and for you to go and love your wife and be in the house of the Lord. But you don't understand it. He doesn't pay attention to me or she doesn't pay attention. Well, you should have been paying attention to that before you said, I do. Now's not the time to get a new house. Now's the time to fix the house, right? That's that's what time it is. Pastor... He's abusive. He beats me. Okay, call 911 and throw his sorry backside in jail. Do that, and then we'll work on that from there, okay? All right, I just need to, go. I just need to keep going, but you know what I'm saying? Here's the bottom line. Boaz was paying attention to Ruth. So the foreman replied, she's a young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. So this is her vibe. She finds herself in Bethlehem. She's starting from scratch with nothing. Now, some of you are here today going, I don't even know that God can bless me. If God can bless two little widows, one little widow that's trying to provide for another widow by doing hard work. You know, this Moabite woman, she was young and she was attractive and she could have gone out and looked for another man by trying to stay out of the sun and staying lotioned up and not getting her hands all um, calloused from doing all this manual labor and her back working. But no, she was down in it. And you know what? God blessed her. There's nobody that came into this place that God can't bless. There's no situation that walked into this place that's too big for God. If your situation is bigger than your God, your God is too small. 
God can bless any one of us. Somebody needs to hold on to this today. When you look at Ruth's life, you have to ask some questions about generosity and blessing. Some of us are thinking, you know what, I, I think I'm, when, I, when I make it big, then I'm really going to start to be generous. You know, you won't. Whatever money you get just amplifies who you already are. So if you want to be generous with a lot, you got to be generous when you have a little. You have to, come on, Sonia, please, somebody kickstart this baby, you know? I mean, when, when, you, when you have nothing, when you have nothing, you have something that you can give. And you know, it was the very act of her generosity and her labor that God began to work. So let's see this one thing I want you to know when you look at Ruth's life is that generosity is attractive. Generosity is attractive. Say that with me. Generosity is attractive. Verse eight, Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us. When you gather grain, don't go to any other fields. He's like, I want you to stay right here. I'm going to take care of you. And not only that, I'm going to elevate you a little bit. You're not going to have to work as hard as everybody else. I see you. I know what you're doing. I know what you're about with your mother-in-law. I see how you're working hard and baby, you look so fine. And I'm just going to make sure, I'm just going to make sure that you don't go anywhere. You just stay right here because I just need a little time for you to fall in love with me. Don't go to any other field. Stay right behind the young women working in the field. See, they were going and they were collecting and they were collecting the extras. And Boaz went and he said, listen, I want you to scoop up some bundles. And you just, while you're scooping up, you're going to drop them right back there for Ruth. Her generosity was attractive to Boaz and it blessed her life. See which part of the field they're harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. I think he was also saying, don't ask for her phone number. Don't, don't do any of that stuff because we're working on even ground and I think she's a honey and I want to talk to her, all of that stuff. But if you talk to her, I'm going to throw you out, Joker. I think that's kind of how he laid it down. He may not have said it like that, but I think that's what was going on in here. Hey, let me tell you something. Can I tell you about my great-grandfather? Let me tell you how I got here. My great-grandmother, she was engaged to be married to some guy. He went to Texas. He said, I'm going to Texas. I'm going to get the house ready. And then I'm going to send for you. Then we'll get married. And so every day he would write to my great-grandmother. And every day, my great-grandfather, they were not dating. They were not, they were not married. None of that. Every day he would go to the mailbox, find the letter, and throw it away. <laughs> that's how I got here. That's how I got here. That's just, that's just something you got to know. If you want to marry Ruth, you better tell all the other guys. You better back up, Joker. And to the guys that go off to Texas, they don't know how to... You, you don't know how to pop the question. You better pull the trigger or somebody that's more convinced will come in and out hustle you and get the woman of your dreams. That's just, that's a good spiritual lesson right there. Boaz is making room for her. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? She asked. I'm only a foreigner. So generosity is attractive. Secondly, generosity attracts more generosity. Listen to this next verse 11. Yes, I know Boaz replied, but yes, I know that I'm blessing you. I I know that this is a a benefit to you, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. 
And he says, may the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done, including me. I just want to be a blessing for you. That generosity displayed by Ruth was attractive to Boaz and that generosity produced generosity coming back to Ruth. Let me tell you, the people of God ought to be the most generous people that there are. Some of you think that you can't afford to be generous, but let me tell you, you can't afford not to be generous because the same hand that holds on to what you have is in a closed fist is the same closed fist. It will be closed when the blessings of God are tried to be poured out on your life and you just can't outgive God. You can't be out over generous. You, you can't be too generous for the Lord. If you give, you will receive Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give back into your bosoms. So generosity is attractive, and generosity attracts more generosity. And then finally, generosity changes destinies. Your generosity will change the future just like it did for me, standing in that living room next door to the church when Rufus showed up. And I watched the generosity of my father and mother being poured out on Rufus. And I watched and it shaped my life hundreds of times over and over. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth into his home. This is verse 13 of chapter four. So a lot of things happened between Ruth chapter two and Ruth chapter four. Cutting through all of the clutter. Now they're married. They got married. In verse three, in chapter three, Boaz calls her a virtuous woman. He was concerned for her character and his, her integrity. We see that both Boaz and Ruth were godly people they were holy people, they were righteous people. And let me just say, to those of you that are not married and you're dating, there is a line that you should not cross physically with one another until after you're married. Pastor, this is, this is old fashioned. Listen, the new fashion stuff is wearing me out. I, I, I don't know what to... It, it's hard. I watched Bill Maher this week. Bill Maher said he talked about that it was like only 1% of the baby boomers that were identifying as, as, as gay. He, he said like the Generation X, it's like 2%. It's basically doubling every year. Gen, Gen Z is something like 14% is, is identifying gay. He said by 2035, the whole world will be gay and nobody will be having kids. He's joking around, you know what I mean? He's making a point that's there. Listen, there, apparently everything right now, you can do anything that you want. You can sleep with one another before you're married. You can engage in sexuality that's outside of the prescription of the Bible. And you're going, but it's legal. It's what, just because things are, abortion is legal. Just because abortion is legal doesn't mean it's righteous or holy or good. There's a lot of things that are legal. 
Listen, brothers and sisters, there is a blessing for working your field and obeying the instruction of the Lord. And if you will, then God will bless you. He will delight again in blessing you. One of the reasons God doesn't bless us when we're in sin is because he doesn't want to affirm behavior that he knows is harmful to you. And so sometimes a good father will withhold goodness to express correction so that we don't go on in nonsense. We see Boaz and we see Ruth functioning properly until chapter four, when they're married, she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, remember her name was Mara, which meant bitter. Now they say, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you. Not only are you getting a son that will be famous, but you have a daughter-in-law that's not even the same DNA as you, that loves you. Not only loves you like a daughter, but she has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at last, Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of King David. Your generosity is attractive. Your generosity will attract generosity back into you. And your generosity will change destinies. So that even God could take a, a Ruth and a Naomi and out of their lineage would come Obed and Jesse and David and even Jesus. His name will be famous. They will talk about Obed and they will talk about Ruth and they will talk about you and me. And I want to say to the fathers and mothers of this church who have faithfully worked the field, I pray they talk about you. Thank you for your love for your church. Thank you for your generosity to the Lord. Thank you for caring for people when they had great needs. Your church loves you and your church honors you. And I pray that you feel the love of sons and daughters today. We bless you and we honor you. We hope you've been blessed by this week's podcast. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with all of our most recent episodes and visit pathwaychurch.us give. We'll see you next week.